I have uh, 1.46. I'm all kitted out and ready to go. I have my coffee. You do have something resembling coffee. Which is, as you say, causing the air to shimmer like a Romulan cloaking device. Well, (laughs) yes. I'm normally really good at this. Anyway, never mind. Hello. Hello. Oh, is this us? Is this us starting or am I getting ahead of myself? This is us starting. Let me just move my mug. (laughs) Right, well. Good game. Good game, good game. Um, well, I believe it's traditional on a podcast to make a, make a noise, you know, a talking noise. It, it, it is, um, yes. So long periods of silence are probably not. Not so good. I can't help it. I'm just, I'm chilled. You're chilled? I'm chilled. Okay. I'm, 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 I was going to say relinquished. I'm not relinquished. I'm, I'm, there's a word. Anyway, relaxed. <laughs> relaxed relaxed. Is, near, is near enough. Yeah. What's that shimmering on the ceiling? Is that my coffee? That's your rum cloud. <laughs> it's my rum cloud, isn't it? <laughs> it is too. It's like a wee little rum cloud Look backdraft at, at the kitchen ceiling. <laughs> That's quite clever. Actually, what's quite clever? What's quite clever is I put my hand over over the mug like that, and when I take my hand away, it's not shimmering. Oh, it is. That might not be safe for your hands to be that close to it. No, probably know. not. Actually, yeah. burns. Mm. But um proximity fumes yeah no i'm 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 chilled out i am um i've um what have we been doing since hello first of all hello would you like to introduce us to the lovely listeners i think that would be a jolly good idea hello lovely listeners hello welcome around the virtual campfire (laughs) to frithcast number 50 50 50 50 we're going to have to put some sort of triumphant music in here. And go a little party stream and go... Yeah, one of those. And let's have one of those. With fireworks. Yeah. Because this is our 50th... Crackle, crackle, crackle. ...episode of Frithcast. Music? Yeah. Legend. Sorry, guys. We're 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 done with the music. We are done with the music. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome around the virtual campfire. Hello. Hello. Come and join a coffee-powered druid <laughs> and a geether in jeans. Coffee and then some. <laughs> for about the next half an hour, give or take, as we talk modern heathenry with a big dollop of. Geekery, you know how it goes. Well, we we You've we probably we, listened to an episode we, or two before we, now. We 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 hope to. We hope to. It depends yeah. what crops up. I mean, we have had episodes before where there's not <clears> been an awful lot of geekery at all, and we've had episodes which haven't had an awful lot of heathenry at all. Well, this is very true. So you know, heathenry geekery mix is all good. 
while while people get themselves <clears throat> settled in around the campfire, yeah, um, and uh, I mean the, the 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 old the old hands the old hands <laughs> are established. Listeners will know where to find everything. They know they know where the marshmallows are and all that. Oh yeah. Um, and the s'mores, we've got to cater for our American listeners as well. And I believe they have a they have s'mores, don't they? Round campfires. Do you know? I don't know. And they're sort of. Uh, I don't know what they are. They're kind of wa- marshmallowy, wafery sort of affairs. Anyway, those. Um, but uh, while everybody's getting settled in, perhaps for any 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 uh, uh, newcomers who've who've recently discovered us. Yes. You poor sods. Um, <laughs> Language, young lady. Would you like to introduce yourself? I would. Hello, lovely listeners. I am Susan Martin. And I'm Kate. And I am here not because I'm an expert on things heathen or that I'm a practising heathen or that I'm a heathen at all but simply because I'm married to you and this is where I live woohoo that, listeners that mean I'm married to Suzanne not to you I mean you know yeah could be tricky just for clarity's yeah. sake in you case know. you you know you fell asleep one day and woke up <laughs> you were anyway moving on okay <clears throat> uh, right so what are we going to talk about today well, we are in episode 50. We are. This is our 50th time of sitting around the virtual campfire and it's getting kind of comfy now and I'm getting to know where all the things are and the we secret... like a marching band or something. stashes and all of that. So I thought we'd have a chat about runes. Now, runes are something we've touched on a little bit before in a couple of episodes. We did an episode just looking at the first rune, which we called Bovine Bank Accounts. We did. And, we've and why did we call it Bovine Bank Accounts? Because it's got cows in it. Because the first rune is... Fail. Fail, mm-hmm. which represents movable wealth. Movable, movable, movable wealth. Movable wealth. That well was done, I, well done. Uh, yeah, that was quite... That Often was... represented by somebody's livestock. Yeah. And their, you know, their investment in their, in their, their, their farm and their... Yes. All that, yeah. All of that. So we did a whole episode... On one rune, what wealth is, how do we look at it modern day? Some of us... With avarice. Yes, some of us have livestock now, some of us don't. Hmm. So how do we... I personally don't, unless you count the cat. I don't think I can, I'm not sure she's here. So how do you measure wealth? What do you measure your wealth in? Mm -hmm. How do you look at your, not just your finances, but the, the wealth of the things you own or the... The movable objects. How do you look your, at that? Your as assets. A, yeah. How do you look at your assets? Mm. So we did a whole episode on that. We've also touched on runic inscriptions. Yeah. In places like Maze How, on the Tent Scram Sacks, on the Lincoln Comb Case, which is still one of my favourites because it's awesome. <laughs> we'll throw all the links into the description. If you want to go have a hunt round for yourself, we'll give you some places to start. I guess we'll have to start backlinking the previous episodes as well, if we've talked about it. Yeah, we, mm. we've done that a couple of times as well, so mm. that's okay. So we know that the runes have a, a letter equivalent Okay. In English. So each rune is a letter or a phonetic sound. But you also have, for every rune, say in the Elder Futhark, you have a concept attached to each rune. They're, they're con- sort of conceptual sort of uh, glyphs as well. Yes. Or ideo- ideo- ideograms? Ideo- yeah, an ideogram. Well as... Some of them are closer to pictograms than the ideograms. Pictograms. That was the word I was looking for. Um, 
So what I thought we'd have an explore of is where those concepts, those ideas, those groupings of words, how do they attach to a single letter? Okay. Where that comes from. And where that comes from is kind of fun. It's all good and groovy. It's when you're studying the runes, there's a lot of modern sources. But for me, and bearing in mind, we can't tell you how to either. <laughs> for me, looking at the runes sooner or later, you've got to kind of go back through those sources because you'll have a source in, written in the modern day that references something 20 years older. Okay. You'll have that source referencing something older than that, that source referencing something older than that. And mm -hmm. eventually, you get right back to the primary source material is a bit of a misnomer but you get back to the oldest sources you've got okay. that have these lists of runes in and their conceptual meanings added to them okay so how far um, how far back are we roughly looking for uh, sources for these meanings well you know the distance you know you go from home to the shops that's just peanuts to space <laughs> That's just peanuts to space. <laughs> I'm guessing it's a long time then. It's a long, long time. The sources that we've got are um, poems. So if I go on a little bit of a side tangent, not that we ever don't go on side tangents. Tangerines! We do not ever go into tangerines here. No, we are definitely straightforward to the point. <laughs> <laughs> you nearly managed it. I, I mean, that was a pretty... I listeners, almost had a straight face. I was going to say, for the benefit of the last hurdle, for the benefit gone. of listeners without television, that was a, that was a right poker face there for a minute or two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doomed. I can't play poker. So there you go. When you were a child, or if you've got children of your own, you've probably come across uh, mnemonics that helped them or helped you when you were a child remember the letters of the alphabet their phonetic sounds and the order they went in okay so you have things like a is for apple b is for ball c is for cat yeah so you're learning the shape of the letter how it phonetically sounds in a word and which letters come before or after that letter okay so you'll often find them in you know, nursery paper or posters, you'll get phonetic. I suppose you will, you know, yeah. Mnemonic poems, if you like. I suppose you will. I mean, you often see, um, uh, you often see schools and things with with a freeze of all the letters yeah. and things and yeah, all, yeah, yeah. on all the pictures. And I, 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 I sort of, I vaguely remember. It's been a long time since I've been at school. But yeah, I know. I know people have like um, uh, anybody who's worked with the uh, tan, tangerine myself now. But anybody who's worked with the NATO phonetic alphabet. Yes. Um, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, all that. Yeah. And on and on to Zulu. And that it's it's the, the, the one that the military use, the police use. But there's also another one hmm. that the public at large seem to have. And if you, if you get somebody to spell something out phonetically, they will, they will use generally all the same words. They'll say A for apple, D for dog, mm. B for Bertie is a, is, is, is a British one. A very British one. You've but again, L, L for leather and so on. And it's, it's short words generally mm. that allow you to recognize that short distinctive word. Yeah. It's very, very distinctive in its shape and sound, so you know which letter they're talking about specifically. So I'm 
thinking about those ones where you do A's for apple, B's for ball, C is for cat, D's for dog. Yep. It's a mnemonic way of uh, a chant or a recitation to give you the order of those letters mm. and what they sound like phonetically and to give you a visual representation of their shape all in one neat little yeah. section. Yeah. So mnemonic poem. Now you've got your head round, you're like, oh yeah, I know what mnemonic poetry is. I got this. What you have with the runes is you have what they call the rune poems. Okay. Now they are in essence mnemonic poems. They're a little bit more complicated, but that's essentially the basic thing that they're doing. They're teaching you the shape of the rune, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what the concept of it is, and what order those runes come in. Okay. So it's essentially like the A is for apple, B is for mnemonics. The other one that's just that that always pops into my head is um, Richard of York gave Battle in Vain. Yeah. Which is the one used for the colours of the spectrum. Oh, be a fine girl, kiss me. Oh, be a fine girl, kiss me. Yeah. Okay. Is yes, that's another one. That's. Um, uh, that's star classifications, stellar classes in the main sequence. G being the stellar class of the sun, mm. O being very hot blue stars, and um, K and M being down the red end, quite cool. Mm. Um, Just chilling out in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a, there's a, you, and the, there are there are, um, there are musical ones as well. Um, every good boy deserves favour. Yes. As some people say football, but I, I was taught fa- every good bud is a yeah. favour and that's the that's the order of notes on the stave. And the mm. major the what's it called? The major stave? I think so. My music's not the treble. Treble clef. The treble clef, that's yeah. right. I can't I, it's been a long time since I've done proper music. But these that sort of pattern of sequence, if you like, is what these rune poems are doing. Okay. So if you go all the way back, and the book I really love is a book that was published in 1915. Okay. Uh, which makes it a tad hard to get hold of a physical copy, but there are PDFs available online for free. Public domain? Woo and yay public domain. Awesome. So this lovely chap called Bruce Dickens, not that Bruce Dickens, another Bruce Dickens from 1915. Wait, what? What Bruce Dickens? The Bruce Dickens. Lovely listeners will put some links in. Okay. Okay. I'm adrift, but never mind. <laughs> you're adrift. You're not adrift. You're a druid. I've been <laughs> Who's having rum-powered coffee? Driftwood. Yes. <laughs> Zatara. Driftwood, you see. I'm getting that. Thank you. Oh, dear. <clears throat> we will call you Zatara. Sounds exotic. What does it mean? It means driftwood. <laughs> I'm struggling to remember what that's from. Oh, you lose! Of course, <laughs> the Count of Monte Cristo. Of course, points. it is. Yes, Sacristi Yako. What? Sacristi, <laughs> do you always drink ink? Only in the mating season. <laughs> Genius. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You, you killed, killed my, my father. father. Prepare, Prepare to, to die. die. <laughs> uh, excuse me for asking, but you don't happen to have six fingers on your right hand. <laughs> You always begin conversations this way. My father was slaughtered by a six-fingered man. <laughs> Don't get me listeners, into the script. I listeners, do this one. 
It's up to you. Um, in in keeping with um, the the we new can't the tell new you how to hear them. in keeping with the new world of, of of entertainment as pioneered by Netflix with a recent <laughs> interactive program, uh, we'll take a vote. We can, we can either carry on talking about runes or we can just recite the rest of the Princess Bride. Oh, don't tempt me, woman. Do not tempt me. She will. She will too. <clears throat> I tell you what, since what? there's only me here to vote. There is. I mean, obviously you as well, but there you know, is. it's your... Yeah, it's your, well, I kind of have the no vote, really. It's your so. thing. Yeah. It's your thing that we're doing. I would strongly suggest we carry on doing the runes. Okay, Just for fine. Now. So, runes. But we can recommend that they watch The Princess Bride if they haven't already. Oh, favourite. They'll never look back. Favourite film ever. I mean, The Lord of the Rings director's cut comes a close second. Princess Bride. It's a good, good film. Best sword fight I have ever oh, seen. Oh, magnificent. <laughs> Truly magnificent. Puts, puts all others into the shade. Casts a bit of shade in places as well. It's quite, mm. nice. quite like it. Okay. Shall we talk about runes? runes. Yes, let's <clears throat> talk about runes. Okay. So, runic poems, mnemonics. Mm. So what you have in the original sources... And you can find images of the pages online. We'll throw links in with the descriptions and all that jazz. Uh-huh. Is you find that each rune has a verse. Okay. And I'm looking uh, primarily at the, to start with at the Anglo-Saxon rune poem. Again, it's written originally in Anglo-Saxon. So translations, you lose a bit of focus. Yeah. Some of the modern words don't quite work in the anglo-saxon concepts that they're trying to describe or we don't have the same weight attached to the concepts that they're describing in the words that they're using and in the words that we use Mm. so a straight translation of it into modern english you are going to lose some of that original meaning whether you intend to or not you're going to lose it's it. It's the problem with language. I mean, language is for <coughs> conveying ideas, and if the language changes, then the uh, the effectiveness of conveying ideas changes. It, it does. You know, um, I mean, the Icelandic one is surprisingly in Icelandic. The Norwegian one is surprisingly in Norwegian. <laughs> so again, you have difficulties in translation. Yeah. The Anglo-Saxon rune poem... To give you a brief introduction to it, has one verse commonly of two or three lines per rune. Okay. And it starts, the first line of each verse starts with the rune itself. So it expects you to know the concept, the singular concept word that is attached to that. And without knowing that word as a key, you can't unlock the verse. Oh. So... The first word is about wealth, but instead of writing the, the Anglo-Saxon word for wealth out, they just write the fair rune. And expect you to know. And expect you to know that that rune is attached to wealth. So then they just go, rune is such and such, such and such. So it's okay. tricky because then you've got that understanding of the verses describing something but to understand it fully, you need you needed you need to, to know, know the keyword of that rune yeah, yeah. to actually understand and unlock the verse, if you like. And these are kind of um, the, the the lines then are, are sort of riddles. They are. I mean, the Kenning, Anglo-Saxons Kenning. really liked their riddles, mm. and they loved their kennings. Mm. So 
some of it is in kennings yeah which are like descriptive phrases that talk about what something is without actually telling you what it is so it's like a riddle description it's um i think we did a we did an episode on it i i, I seem to remember we mentioned um metaphors and, yeah. and such we, yeah they're kind of like the, complex metaphors the, compound metaphors the sort of gollum riddles that gollum and bilbo yes uh, sort of did a riddle riddle battle didn't they, they under, did under do the misty a riddle. mountains it's, it's a huge anglo-saxon <clears throat> pastime they don't get to watch saturday night tv they do in fact get to know to tell each other riddles and um i i, I also remember <clears throat> we touched on the star trek episode Mm. Where Picard's on the surface of a planet with a com- uh, the captain of a uh, an alien ship, yes, and the um, the language the other ca- ca- captain only speaks <clears throat> in metaphor, yeah, and of course you've got to unlock that whole culture and the whole sort of to history so that you can understand what he's trying what to say. What metaphors to you. are behind each interaction, which was a genius episode, if you ask me, <laughs> because it showed the complexity of language. Mm. So the rune poems. They've got metaphor in them. They might have a little bit of straightforward description, mm-hmm. but they use these kennings, these compound descriptive phrases, if you like. Yeah. And some of them are easier to understand than others. The verse for ice is quite easy to understand. Okay. Because it just describes the fact it's glistening, but it's not so good if you try and walk on it. It's deadly. Um, some of the verses are a little bit more obscure. Okay. Where it really gets fun is the verse for Paeoth. Tell me about the verse for Paeoth. Paeoth is... Tell uh, me about Paeoth You might well, have it, see it described as a dice cup or a fate cup. Oh, I know the one. Yep. Where it's yep. commonly drawn on its side and it's either has its open end to the left or its open end to the right. See, I do. I mean, I do know it as the P-Rune. The P-Rune, yeah. yeah. So you're looking at the P-Rune... This is where it gets fun because with the verse for the P-Rune, mm-hmm. there's, it's, there's three lines and the middle line is missing. That's unfortunate. This makes it slightly tricky because you can only translate what you've got. Yeah. And so they have two lines, one either side and a whole big kind of literary chasm in a the middle. Blank. A big blank gap. You will see a lot of rune books translating payoff as the fate cup or the dice cup or the chance, the unknown, because this verse is unknown. Or we've got bits of it, we just don't have all of it. So they draw, they infer the <clears throat> meaning of unknown or, or uncertain or mysterious or random chance and so forth. And they draw all of that from the fact that there's a line missing. There's a line missing. So presumably in the in the first Initially, there wasn't a line missing. There was not a line missing. So is it valid? Because we might as well ask ourselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know we to assign a meaning to assign a meaning based on something that wasn't there when it was originally composed. That's the trouble you have reading some of the rune books nowadays. Some of the textbooks, some of the books that will discuss runes, mm. will now tell you for certain that the P rune means the unknowable, the chance, the throw of the dice, the dice cup. The thing that is not yet known but is in action. So that, that that's kind of in, that's kind of implying that that way back in the you know the the, the, the sort of 
tenth century, eighth century, whatever. It had a slightly different meaning. They were they were writing this rune down and using it as a they, yeah. But I'm saying that that's yeah. what this this now implies. Yeah. People are going to read those books and think, oh well, that's what the, you know, yeah. the Vikings or whatever. Yeah, that's used where to... it gets really fun mm. because originally when this was written down, the runes would have been you know they may have been in common use. Everybody may have known the meanings to them. But because we've lost a line, we can't tell for certain what that verse is about anymore. No. Because the whole middle line out of three, you've lost a third of that description. Which it's is gone. Yeah. That's... So you've now got a lot of modern authors which will say it's the chance, the unknowable, mm. the throw of the dice, the equal choice of things going one way or the other way, and there's no weight to either side. Schrodinger's rune. Schrodinger's rune, which wasn't its original meaning mm. but now you will find many modern rune authors will look at that and decide that its meaning is the unknown because there's a line missing in a line the, missing. so the poem is unknown so the meaning is unknown but, but it, it wasn't. wasn't originally it originally <clears throat> meant something else and now it's like yeah yeah okay so it's a different that's where it gets really fun and besides if it was schrodinger's rune it would have to mean everything every every possible thing all at once yeah, I don't think it's quite it. that complex. No. Um, but modern, not necessarily scholars, but modern authors who are looking at runic meaning may give you, you know, you may pick up a book on oracular technique mm -hmm. and you will find that that rune, the P rune, stands for the unknowable fate, chance, whatever it is. It's because the rune poem has a line missing. So they don't know the meaning. Not for certain. People have had a stab at what it might mean. Some okay. people publish, you know, understand the poem based on the two lines we do have. Mm. And it's, you know, you still got to be aware that you're, you're missing a whole third of that description. How, you see, I've got a bunch of questions coming to my head now. Mm. Because I want, first of all, I want to, I want to sort of, I mean, to what extent do we, do we have any other sources because we've got we've got this one rune poem, and this is this is the poem that's giving us the um, meanings for all the runes. I mean, I, you've talked to me many times on mm. the meanings of, of runes. I understand that there are these concepts that um, you know. I mean, people use them in, in divination. People use yeah. them in, in um, 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 writing inscriptions. What it is that Vitki do. Mm, bind runes. Bind runes, <coughs> and uh, you know, looking for particular effects by using particular runes that really uh, that, will that, resonate that, that effect. Yeah, yes, specific things, and this all comes from this one poem. Not specifically that one poem, but that one poem is one of the oldest sources we've got mm. for the oracular use. I was just wondering because <coughs> I mean I know we've talked when we when we did our I was I keep wanting to call it Aleph but. Uh, the reason I keep wanting to call it Aleph is when we did our um, uh, original episode on Feo. Mm. And we related... Aleph. Hebrew. Aleph. The, the, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet yes. is Aleph. Cow. Uh, and it means, as I understand it, it has a similar meaning of, yeah. of, of, cattle. of cow, cattle, livestock. We talked about the relationship between the the Feo rune, which is uh, could could loosely be seen as a, as a pictogram of a cow with its horns through a yoke yes through a yoke seen from the side mm -hmm. as compared to the Phoenician 
the first letter of the Phoenician alphabet, which was an inverted A shape, yeah. inverted capital A. If you write a capital A on a piece of paper and turn it upside down, you're looking you've literally at the Phoenician face, uh, face of a cow. Of a cow. Yeah. And obviously we have just turned that over, or the Romans just turned <clears> that <throat> over. But they all relate to the same basic concepts and, yes. and, 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 and so on. And so we know, I mean, I, I take it from that, that we can say some meanings have come down from by tracing the runes back because i know the yeah. the runic alphabet to an extent evolved from a similar similar it's from they evolved from a common a common root didn't they yeah now there's where it gets really fun okay because there are as we've mentioned before a little bit but maybe not gone into in a whole detail there's more than one runic alphabet yes so the common one that you will find elder futhark 24 letters ish <laughs> but what you also have is anglo-saxon runes yeah there are more of those i think there's 32 or 33 of those that's complicated but if you go to the icelandic and the norwegian rune poem they only detail 16 oh okay but you also have what they call dotted runes so they're a different runic alphabet you also have variations in some of the letters that show up occasionally um, if you look at the inscriptions on runestones supply doesn't quite meet demand so you have people who are trying to write in runes but they've not quite got all the knowledge they should have okay. when they're writing it so they're, they're using slightly amended letter shapes right uh, the yera rune the harvest rune you might see it as two interlocking chevrons that face different directions. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> oh, the but offset, not not offset. the one, not the one where it's a diamond in the middle with a. No, not that one. A top and a bottom. So you'll find it as two interlocking chevrons. <clears throat> that the are the sort of vaguely like S shape but broken. Yeah, the yeah. S shape but broken. You might also see that as a diamond. Or you might see it as a diamond with a vertical stave. From the topmost point of the diamond through the centre of the diamond and out the other side. Oh, so it kind of looks like a really angry tadpole. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag make a tadpole angry. Hashtag make a tadpole angry. Okay, so right. Oh, that's so you have variant, variant shapes for some runes, not all of them. Mm. You have all manner of mad things that go on with runes but the rune poems the icelandic rune poem and the norwegian rune poem they both detail 16 runes okay and some of those runes are the same as the anglo-saxon rune poem but there's a lot of the anglo-saxon ones that are missed out right but the verses in the icelandic and norwegian rune poems especially the norwegian one the norwegian rune poem is some mad stuff that's just it's kind of like take a step to the edge of sanity in runes and jump off the edge and you're somewhere around where the Norwegian rune poem is. Medieval Norway yeah. must have been a very, very challenging place to live. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's fairly challenging now. Yeah. I'm. Yeah, we'll put some links in. Now, there's a fourth. You're gonna, what I'm saying is you're going to be doing a lot of thinking. Yeah. You're going to be doing a lot of contemplating and coming up with ideas... And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. There's all of that. Um, there's a fourth 
Plus the sky lights up something amazing. It does. It's uh, trippy. I so exactly. need to go see it. There's a fourth, not necessarily a poem, because what it is is a list of names. And it's a fairly old manuscript, but it doesn't go into any of the concept names. Mm. And some of the ways that they've spelt the rune names are slightly different. Okay. But then again, this is a society that is more oral culture than written culture. Yeah. So you're going to have, when somebody finally gets to writing it down, you've got that person's interpretation of what the shapes look like on the page to make that phonetic set of sounds. Okay. And that isn't necessarily a poem, it's more just a list. So for me, it resonates in the poems where you remember, again, a mnemonic poem like 30 Days Hath September. Yeah, yeah. So you're making a little rhyme up of the information that you need. Although in that one, as rhymes go, that one does kind of peter out when we get to the end of and and, and they go on about February. Yeah, and, and it just, just all like, gets a bit confused. Gets a bit McGonagall. Yeah, yeah. With that one, it's debatable as to whether you can class it as a poem in the same way that the other three are, because it it only has one verse, okay. which basically lists sixteen names. There's no descriptions per verse, per rune, as the other three poems are, mm. which are very clearly poems when you've got sort of three lines and then a gap and the three lines for the next verse. This is just like one verse, if you like, with 16 runes written in order. So it's like a little quick mnemonic for somebody to remember those 16 names. It's not, so it's not, not so much a poem, it's more, <laughs> it sounds like it's more like a kind of a mantra or an incantation or something. Yeah. You, would, you would just sort of stand and... And um, be able to recite because it would give you the names of the runes and it would give you what order they came in. Mm -hmm. You'll find if you look at modern rune books and if you go back and look at the rune poems, the runes are in a specific order. Okay. There's one very notable uh, modern runic writer who writes on runes who changes the order of the runes. And the fiend. I know. Why would you do He's such a, a thing? He's a bit of a fiend because it's kind of like a bear trap for the unwary when you're studying runes. Yeah. You're just kind of skipping along through the forest and kadunk. You're suddenly falling over a text where they not necessarily take liberties with some of the meanings, but they might take them in a particular focus that might not be your own focus. Yeah. They might be a little bit more fluffy than other scholars might be and they change the order so then you've got to think right this author is changing the order of the runes mm -hmm. and has 25 runes everybody else has a different order and 24 okay so how do you reconcile where did the 25th one go uh, the 25th one is a blank oh no now come on I the know. absence of a rune is not a rune i know or is it i know I know, that's where it gets really fun, mm. because that book that details that and the set of runes that come with it are commonly where people start. It's like one of the big starter books going into runes. Mm. It's the one that... It was the one I started with. Mm. And then I went round and read every other book I could get my hands on and was like, hang on a minute, but all of these discount this first author's work, which is now jammed into my brain as the only way I can do this. So it was a huge, big, jarring experience when I first started with these. I suppose this is often the way, though, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I can't tell people how to heathen. 
No. I especially can't tell people how to heed them. I mean, you you know, if you chose to, you'd have a lot more authority telling people how to heed them than I would. Yeah, but I don't... Not that you would. need to tell people I how to heed them. I know you don't need to, I mean, you wouldn't, but... some folks use the blank room, some folks don't use the blank this room. Is, but this is what I'm... This is what I was going to say was... I suppose... Because runes, as I am aware, are, are, are used widely outside of the heathen community. Yes. Yeah. As a divinatory tool. So mm-hmm. it's not specifically, you know, whereas a heathen might be interested in, and I'm, and I'm generalising obviously, but a heathen might be interested in runes because of the magical aspect, but also because of a spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. a connection to the, yeah. the old, you know, the old world and uh, a, a link to the gods as they were seen. You know, they might see all of that. And they mm. might also see it as a writing system. Yeah. You know, a perfectly valid writing system for, uh, you know, somebody who who's of, of sort of Eastern European or Russian descent might might keep practicing the Cyrillic, Cyrillic alphabet because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a like connection, a, a, a yeah. connection to, <clears throat> to their history and all that kind of mm. thing. So I can understand there's lots and lots of different reasons why a heathen might be interested mm. in the rooms. Um I know obviously lots of lots of people outside of the heathen community are interested in, like I say, for divination and so on. I mean, I suppose, you know, if they work for the person, I mean, yeah. you know, in a lot of respects, divination is, is essentially just a way of focusing your mind. It is, You know, yes. in, a, in a certain, getting yourself into a certain state of mind, all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's being able to consistently repeat that particular place of mind, state of mind, sense of awareness, Mm. but being consistent in it. So when you first start and you're reading runes in oracular sense, you're probably reading them for yourself. Yeah. For me, the runes as an oracular practice, the rune poems are where those, predominantly where those meanings come from. So if you are looking at runes as an oracular or you're thinking, I want to look at those, even in a writing sense, it's useful to go back to the original rune poems and look at them, Mm. study them, not necessarily learn them, but then have an awareness that the majority of understandings of how runes work and what they represent comes from those documents. Mm. Learn where they come from. Learn what differences there are between the three poems for the runes that represented in each one. You can never go wrong knowing more than less. If you know that, yeah, knowing, understanding more of it. Yeah. So, yeah, we've done a little bit of poetry this time round, I think. Mm. Um, and I did it. And I didn't even rattle off Jabberwocky once. You did not. Like the one poem I know. I bet I know a poem that you know. You probably, you probably, go on. On top of the crumpety tree. The Quangle Wangle sat. And his face you could not see. On account of his very large hat. For his hat was a hundred and three feet wide. With ribbons and bibbons on every side. And bells and buttons and bows and lace. And no one could ever see the face of the Quangle Wangle Queen. And with that, lovely listeners... We're going to talk to you all next time. If you would like to find us online, you can find me. I'm Suzanne Martin. I'm around on Facebook and I'm on Twitter at Githa in Jeans. And I'm, uh, I think I said I was Kate, but I've got a, if you want to find me for any reason, I've got a rubbish website at (laughs) glassroom.net. 
you can find me on Facebook as Kate Coldwind and um, uh, the same on Twitter. Was a friend request? Come and say hi. It's Do. all good. There's always more space Do, around please. the virtual campfire. I need friends. And we will talk to you lovely listeners next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.